We're going to do a lot of Bible flipping here this morning, so that's why we ask you to bring your Bibles, and that's the only way you're going to learn to discover what's in the Bible. The title of this session is Radical Mission. Radical Mission. There are many Christians today that live their lives as though they have no real purpose and mission in their life. They, they say they love God and they may go to church on a regular basis. They may even carry their Bible. But when it comes to their day-to-day living, there's no focus, no sense of purpose, and no sense of mission in their life. The Bible makes it very clear that God has given us a mission that we're to be focused on, that we're to bring our energies to bear. In fact, the reason the Lord gave us the Holy Spirit was that we might fulfill this mission. Sometimes, uh, obviously, the Holy Spirit provides a variety of things in our life. He comforts us. He prays for us. He guides us. He leads us. The primary reason the Holy Spirit was given to us was to empower us to be God's mission agents to the world. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the uttermost parts of the world. Now, it's interesting to me because, you know... this is one of the one of the first declarations about the Holy Spirit. Well, Jesus has talked about the Holy Spirit before. He said, I won't leave you as orphans, but I'll send you a comforter, a counselor, and he will lead you into all truth. So the Lord mentioned it before, but in this particular place, he sort of gives like a, a, just a, a laser beam sort of focus upon what the Holy Spirit is going to do in your life is give you power So you can be my witness. And of course, we see that displayed almost immediately, shortly after Christ leaves. And the disciples are waiting in the upper room, about 120 of them, men and women together, and they're praying. And the Holy Spirit descends with fire. And the place is shaken. And and the moment that the Holy Spirit came down upon the disciples in the upper room was the same time that literally hundreds and thousands of Jewish pilgrims, many of them converts to Judaism, they were not Jews by birth, but they were Ethiopians, Mesopotamians, Romans, Persians, and they were all gathered together for the Passover. And at that very moment, the Holy Spirit descends and Peter preaches his first message empowered by the Holy Spirit and 3,000 people come to Christ and then immediately they take him down to the lake and begin baptizing 3,000 people. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19 and 20, these are Jesus' last words before he leaves for heaven. It's always significant to remember that these are the last things that Jesus said. Imagine for a moment that you're Christ, that you're the founder of this organization and that this organization that you founded isn't a business, but it's intended to go on for thousands and thousands of years and you're going to leave. And you're leaving it in the hands of a few fishermen, a tax collector, 
Most of them between the age of 18 and 24 years of age. And the whole fate... I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but this is, this is really true. The whole fate of the world is in the hands of those 120. And in particularly, in the hands of the 12. And Jesus is leaving. Sometimes we just, you know, we, we just do not grasp the purpose of the church. We just think of it as, you know, it's a nice club. It's, it was neat going to Sunday school. We're talking about the fate of the world. Those who would hear the gospel and those who would not. Christ is leaving. And he tells them, I'm leaving. And here's what I want you to do in my absence. This is going to be the direction of your life. For the rest of your lives. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given complete authority on heaven and earth. Sometimes we skip over that verse, but we need to remember that it's Christ who calls the shots, both in heaven and in earth. And it's actually Christ who will judge the world. The Bible says in, in Revelation that I looked and I saw the throne, and he sat on the throne. His eyes were flaming fire. His hair was white as wool. Well, the Bible makes it very clear that God has appointed a day that he will judge the world, and he has appointed a man through which he will judge the world through, and that man is the man Christ Jesus. Is the one on the throne. He's got all authority. He's his authority overrides all the rules of kings, all the rules of governments. We do not care if they tell you you cannot speak in the name of Christ. We do not care if they tell us you cannot raise your children with the knowledge of God. We disobey them in order to obey. Our king. Some of you may not realize, but the battle cry of the American revolutionaries was no king but King Jesus. Some of you have no idea that Princeton, Harvard, Yale, and Dartmouth were all missionary schools started by radically committed evangelical Christian men and women. Committed to train and equip mission-minded, radical young people who would give their lives for the cause of Christ. And they have all since been degraded and eroded by secularism and heathenism. And today they are nothing but an empty shell of their former selves. In fact, today they send out their bastions of liberalism and secularism and their message is going out to the ends of the earth. But that wasn't how they started. Therefore, because I'm in authority, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. In other words, the end of this dispensation, the end of all time, the end until I return. Go and make disciples. I want to talk a little bit about that this morning because that is our mission. Becoming 
a radically committed Christians means accepting responsibility to see that people hear the gospel and that when they respond by accepting Christ, we accept responsibility to help them grow in Christ. Let me explain the mentality that many Christians have. And I don't mean this quite like it's going to sound, but I just thought this would be a good picture. A lot of Christians have the mentality that we just go out and see as many people saved as we can. Just go out and share the faith, share the faith, share the faith. It's a little bit like a guy going out and impregnating as many women as he can. You don't worry about fathering them. Don't worry about providing for them. Just go out and make as many babies as you can. As you know, God instituted the family. God has an order for things to happen. A man and woman submitted to God. A man and woman fall in love. A man and woman marry. And a man and woman begin a family. They just don't go have babies and leave them on the street. They make those babies and then they nurture those babies and they train those babies. And in fact, the right of every child should be the opportunity to grow up in a loving family where they're nurtured and they're trained. And if you look at society today, you see the impact and the brokenness of the lack thereof. Of the lack of a mom and a dad who loved you, who taught you right from wrong, who taught you morality, who taught you how to work, who taught you that you were significant, who taught you how to contribute, who gave you a sense of self and a sense of self-esteem and a sense of God's love. And we live in a degraded society. But God's plan... And it's happening in many instances is mom and dad together, shepherding, guiding, encouraging, building those young ones until they get to the time where they leave. They're adults now. And they move on. And they continue the cycle, the propagation of the human race, but not just birthing babies, but raising responsible citizens. That's our mission. There is no redefining the church, just like there is no redefining the family. God calls us to lead ones to Christ, and then we bring them into the family of God, into the local church. Might be a Baptist church, Evangelical Free Church, Missionary Alliance Church, Assemblies of God Church, or a non-denominational rock church. And within the body of Christ, we help them grow. We set examples for them on how to live. The younger ones look out for the older ones. And they nurture them. And they love them. And they help them begin to discover their gifts and use them to contribute to the building up of the body of Christ, which is the church. We're His body. And we're not just to help them come along, but we're to train them to be Disciples, in other words, to do everything you're doing. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Am I worthy of being followed? Now, I, I don't want anyone to go off on an arrogant trip here or a pride trip for a moment, but I want you to imagine for a moment, Paul writes more than once, follow me even as I am following Christ. Can you say that? Would you dare say that? I think we should say that. I sure hope to the Lord in heaven that when you have your first child and your child's old enough to understand you, you can look at them and say, sweetheart, you follow me. You want to know how to live? You follow me. I sure hope you're not the kind of parent that says, do what I say, but don't do what I do. If you do that with your children, God wants us to be examples to spiritual children. How we live. 
how we carry ourselves, what our values are, what our commitments are. It's a little hard to get a young Christian to come to a midweek meeting if I don't come, isn't it? It's so hard for them to see that it's, it's a worthy commitment. It's a little hard for them to grasp that Bible reading is important if one, they never see me, or two, they never hear me talk about the Scripture. It's a little hard for them to consider memorization of Scripture valuable if they never see me memorizing or never hear that I even know a few verses. It's a little hard for them to pick up the value of loving new people and reaching out to lost people if they never see me doing it or hearing me pray for certain individuals. It's a little hard for a young Christian to grasp that prayer is really meaningful if they never see it in me. And of course, it's an... It's very difficult for a young Christian to understand that struggling is normal if they never see transparency in me. Probably one of the things that, I don't know if I would say woke me up, but it made me think about these things maybe more seriously than ever before. It was when I became a father. And not only a father, but a pastor. It's a scary thing. You know, we have some, I'm not going to have anybody raise their hand, but we have some kids in here of pastors. Now, some of them I know, some of them I don't. Some of them had really good experiences, some of them didn't. But many of them that I've talked to have said, you know, Mark, I just didn't want the faith of my father. That, that just breaks my heart, and it scares me. It scares me, because it's so easy to miss your own kids. It's so easy to be taking care of everybody else. And your kids look at you and go, you never had time for me. I never saw exemplary living in you. You didn't model Christ for me. And the Christ I saw in you, I don't want. Sometimes I, I wish that I could place that on all of you, even though you're not parents, so that we begin to take our Christianity so seriously. Because God commands us to have spiritual children. We were born to reproduce. Did you know that? Did you know we are commanded in Genesis to be fruitful and multiply? Don't buy into the zero population crap that the world tells you. There is more than enough food on the planet to provide for every loved human being. God's not an idiot. This planet will sustain His commands. The problem with the zero population group is not that they care about the planet. They care about themselves and they want things for self. The world lives on less than $2 a day. Half the world. My gosh, I'm afraid we could probably live on less than 50 if we had to. Or 100 or 200. A majority of places, that we like kings compared to the rest of the world. There is plenty of resources. You remember some years ago, the, uh, you all were very little when this happened, but the, the Live Aid, Band-Aid thing that happened with Michael Jackson and Quincy Jones, and we are the world, we are the children, we are the there's a choice we're making. Remember that song? It was a cool song. Anyway, you know all that money that was raised, all the food was raised? All the food that was raised, I think it was for Africa, sat on a dock and rotted. That's a fact. And you know why it rotted? Not because nobody cares, but because a few desperate, dictatorial communists would not give it to the people who were hungry. There is plenty of food. North Korea systematically starves their own people. 
It's never been that there's not enough food. It's greed and corruption and sin. And the gospel is the answer for what ails the world. And when the gospel comes, then all of a sudden we find that the few loaves and fishes feed the masses just like they did in Jesus' day. We get so perverted, so twisted in our thinking by this culture that values self over God. God calls us to go and bring the gospel to people and when they come to know Him, to bring Him into the body of the church and shepherd them and love them and nurture them and help them grow up into fully committed disciples who are doing what Christ taught the original 12 to do. That's the point. When people said to me, Oh, Mark, I don't know if I'm called to go. How can you say that? How can you say that? You don't have to get a special calling from God. It is written recorded in stone. Go. And be going. Go to your neighborhood. Go to your school. Go to your workplace. Wherever it is, go. And make disciples and teach them to do what I taught you to do and you to do. And the process continues, you see. And that's what the church is all about. Just as we create families to raise children and equip them for life, so we create churches both to birth new Christians and to train and raise them into mature adult disciples. Now what does this mean? This implies, unquestionably, a commitment to the church, the body of Christ, the mechanism for world evangelization. Sometimes our commitment to the church is... Minimal at best. But when your commitment to the church is minimal at best, what you are saying by your actions is my commitment to God's plan is minimal. Because the church is the mechanism. The church is not only the body, not only the organism, but it is the army of Christ. The Bible tells us that. Paul writes to Timothy, endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please his commanding officer. Imagine for a moment that you're at war somewhere. Pick any place. Maybe it was in Iraq. Maybe it was in Kuwait. Maybe it was in Vietnam, wherever. You can imagine it. And you and your buddies have been a hard day of fighting. And now it's time to rest. It's nighttime. The bombing has stopped. And you've got sentries that are posted outside. And they're supposed to pay attention and stay alert while the 75 of you are sleeping. Instead, they decide to watch cartoons on the little satellite whatever computer hookup. And then they decide to play cards. And the next thing you know, you get shot. Because they were entangled in the affairs of everyday life and they were distracted from their mission. And it cost some lives. God, you see, has called us to focus our living, to focus our living on the very sacrifice that Christ made at the cross that's got to get to the world. One of our summer LTs this summer in Colorado, it's the high school LT. Two nights they went out, they were in Fort Collins this year at the university, and they, all the high school students stayed in the university housing. <clears throat> and they went out two nights in a row sharing the gospel, and 71 people came to know Christ. 
one of the one of the young ladies who went out to share the gospel never shared her faith before. She was really frightened, really afraid to go. Ended up leading six people to Christ in two days. But one of the people, one of the young men that came to Christ, he just stood up with tears in his eyes and said, I've never in my life heard this message before. Never. I never knew this. That's mind-boggling to us, isn't it? That's like someone saying they've never heard of the president to us or they've never heard of Bart Simpson. We, we just can't imagine that there's people who have never heard and understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, did you know, there are people tomorrow that will fill our churches even that have never heard about a personal relationship with Christ and the need to accept Him as their Savior and that salvation is a free gift, not of works, but completely a free gift through the grace of God. And then there are multitudes of others who have never even heard the story. <clears throat> Today in England, England, you may not know this, was a bastion of dynamic Christianity. For years, they sent missionaries all over the world. Christianity, biblical Christianity, guided England and Britain for years. Today, less than 2% of the entire population goes to church. The country that produced John Wesley, George Whitfield, Less than 2%. America is headed in the same direction. Multitudes do not know Christ. We're going to look briefly here at a man who is radically committed to the mission. His name was Paul. And I've got a number of scriptures, so we're just going to rush through them, all right? We're going to go to Acts chapter 20 and verse 24. Some of you may already know this one. This is one of my life verses. I remember reading it many, many years ago and being shocked by it but also recognizing that must be my personal mantra. <clears throat> I want to start with verse 22. <clears throat> well, no, no. Let's start with verse 18. When they arrived, he declared, Paul, you know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now I have done the Lord's work humbly, yes, and with tears. Now notice Paul was now in Asia. You can go figure out from your ancient history what countries referred to Asia, but um, Rome was not part of Asia, in my understanding. And then he goes on to say, <clears throat> Yes, and with tears, I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews, yet I never shrank from telling you the truth, either publicly or in your homes. i got to tell you, that's a challenge for me. You know, I, I recognize sometimes I walk out of these meetings and and I can either see it or hear the rumblings or find out later, you know, Mark, you didn't make so many people very happy. And I go home sometimes in tears, and I look at this verse and say, God, help me. Help me, whether they love you or they don't, they love me or they don't, to never shrink back from declaring the full purpose of God for their life, whether they want to hear it or not. But it would be easy to do. I have had one message for Jews and Gentiles alike, the necessity of turning from sin and turning to God and of faith in our Lord Jesus. That was his message over and over. Now, that wasn't all he shared because obviously he writes in the epistles, which are our modern-day scripture, and he was trying to equip the church. But his message for those who did not know him was turn from sin and turn to God. Sin will destroy your life. God will give you life and put your faith in Jesus Christ. 
And now I'm going to Jerusalem, drawn there irresistibly by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what awaits me, except the Spirit has told me, in city after city, that jail and suffering lie ahead. That's a, that's a powerful vision for your life. Jail and suffering await you when you go to the city, Paul. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about God's wonderful kindness and love. Have you ever thought about that verse? Have you ever read it before? Have you ever given it serious ponderance? Is that the heart cry of your soul and spirit? Lord, my life has no meaning. It is meaningless to me. It means nothing to me except that I might finish the task you gave me to proclaim Jesus Christ to others and to give my life for the service of the saints. That ought to be the heart cry. That is the heart cry of every true disciple. You just need to determine whether or not you are one at this point in your life. But that is the heart cry of every real disciple. Nothing in life matters to me. Whether I'm in pain or I'm in comfort, whether it means more suffering or not, God, one thing matters, one alone. I want to finish what you asked me to do. With every breath that I have in my being, with my last bit of strength, I marvel. I mean this. I marvel. when I want, Whenever I get a chance to watch Billy Graham, I turn the TV on. And here is this guy who I think now is 85, shakes with Parkinson's, can barely stand behind the podium, speaks slowly. But he still speaks. He still speaks. John Wesley said travel almost, I think it was half a million miles almost on horseback. He was still riding at 82 years of age. He would have to have help to get up behind the podium, speaking to men and women of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That just blows my mind. The commitment of many of the men and women that I, that I see in the world today, and it challenges me, and it motivates me. Turn to Colossians chapter 1, and verse 28. <clears throat> Paul is writing again, and he writes, So everywhere we go, we tell everyone about Christ, we warn them and admonish them and teach them with all the wisdom God gives us. For we want to present them to God mature in their relationship in Christ. That's what the word perfect means. Take the word perfect out. Mature is a much better rendering because no one's ever going to be perfect. But mature. Fully develop. I work very hard at this as I depend on Christ's mighty power that works within me. The NIV says, I wrestle. I think it's the NIV or the Berkeley. I wrestle. I struggle greatly with all the energy that I have empowered by God who is working in me. And when I first became a follower of Christ, I knew within that first week, I knew, I, I don't know, I, I guess I know because the Holy Spirit was in me. I knew intuitively that my life it's about others that I'm to give it now. Whether I'm a pastor or not, or anybody recognizes me or not, listen, we recently read in the one-year Bible the story of Ezra. Remember what it says about Ezra? 
that Ezra had set his heart to study the Word of God, to know it, to do it, and to teach others to do it. That ought to be your mindset. Whether you're male or female, it does not matter. Whether you ever become a pastor or not, it doesn't matter. They're going to be literally raising up thousands of shepherd and shepherdesses who know the Word of God, who are living it in their life, and the determination is to lead others to know it, to know it, to know it. I was sharing many messages when I was 20 years old. I would sit to whoever would listen to me, to whoever would listen. Part of my problem was I talked too much. But I had lots to learn, but that didn't stop me. I'll never forget going to this sorority one time, this fraternity, there was a little meeting, and so some testimonies were being shared, and I was sharing mine, and later on there was a young woman there. And she invited us to her home, my wife, and I spent three hours just telling her about what Christ wanted to do and what God could do in her life and the plan of God from the Scripture today. Her daughter is one of my daughter's best friends, and she and her husband are still living for Christ today, and that was 24 years ago. And she was 19, and I was 20. And all I knew was the Word of God. I was devour this book, in this book, because I knew others have to know what's in this book. And I have to know what's in this book. But that's the, the whole goal, is that I might be able to take what I know and build others with it. Oh, we put a little cement here, a little encouragement there, a few bricks there in their life, and encourage them and build them so I can say, here they are, God. They're mature. They're complete. They're ready for you to use. And then they go and do that to someone else and to someone else and to someone else. That's the whole point. See? And our goal is to present everyone mature. But, of course, you can't present everyone mature until they're even born. So the first step, not the only step, the first step is they get saved. We present the gospel to them in the way we live, in the way we carry ourselves, in our love, and, of course, eventually sharing the message. Maybe your testimony. Maybe the five laws or, or peace with God or do you know for certain book or a little track or a little book or a tape. And they come to Christ. It's only just begun. Now you've got a baby on your hands. And that baby's going to need nursed and fed and nurtured and followed up and cared for. Sometimes we just leave them. Imagine a mother just leaving their baby. These new Christians, they don't know up from down, right, left. Go pick them up for the meeting. Say, hey, I'll take you out for dinner. How about you come over to my house for dinner and then I'll take you to Axis. Oh, geez, I never thought of that. But that's what we do with the child. Hey, listen, how about two mornings a week? I'll get together with you and we'll read our one-year Bibles together and I'll have a quiet time with you and I'll show you how to have one. How to write in your journal. Hey, you know, maybe every couple weeks we could pray together. You know, just for five minutes. Don't tell them no hour. I know, they're not going to make it for an hour. Whoever thought of praying and talking to nobody for an hour? But you take them and you reveal your soul in prayer and you show them what it's like. You see. And we follow them up. And, hey, I haven't seen so-and-so in a meeting for a while. You pick up the telephone. How are you doing? I missed you. I just want to know you're missed. You're missed. Is there anything I can do for you? We can listen. We find out, wow, they've really been struggling. Oh, they've been struggling with the same dope. They're smoking now. They were before they came in. Oh, the Lord. Well, big surprise. Even babies poop their pants. And the diapers need changed. In fact, they keep doing that for quite some time after you have them. Every new Christian is going to have struggles and problems and difficulties, but they need someone to come along and say, man, I'm for you. Hang in there. Don't worry about it. That's why Christ died for you. You're forgiven. He loves you. And you then begin demonstrating that to them. 
Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. Look at what Paul says. He says, don't forget to pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to preach about his secret plan, that Christ is also for your Gentiles. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Hey, that's commitment to the message. You ever been in chains? That's commitment to the message. Paul is the exemplary Christian in the entire New Testament. He is God's example of what devotedness to God and Jesus Christ and the mission really looks like. And here he was. Listen, I'm in chains. Notice he doesn't say, I, I'm, I don't know about you, but if I'm in chains, I'm going, pray for me that I would get out of here soon. You never find him asking that. Not one time in the New Testament. He says, pray for me that while I'm here in chains... I would proclaim the message as clearly as I should. You know that in Roman times, he was actually chained to the Roman guards sometimes, the Praetorian guard. The Bible says he won the guards. He just preached to whoever was around. If he's chained to you, he, he, remember the Philippian jailer? Him and, I think it was him and Barnabas. Sometimes again, him and Silas, him and Barnabas mixed up. But give me a little grace because you'll find it next, the exact story. And they're locked in jail and... And so they're singing. They've just been beaten. Their backs are bleeding. No nurse is tending their wounds. There's no salve. There's no ointment. And their legs are in stocks in their hands and they're sitting there uncomfortable. And they're singing. I got to admit, first thing coming out of my mouth is swear words. I just, I just, I blows my mind. To imagine my back's bloody, my nerves are raw, and I'm in this dank, dark prison and I'm singing and the bars fall and all the prisoners are going to run away and the Philippian jailers he's going to kill himself because he knows that they're gone they kill him Paul says hey don't don't harm yourself don't harm yourself we're all here we're all okay nobody's going anywhere it's like you notice Paul he took charge of the whole jail nobody hey you hear that guys nobody's going anywhere and then they start witnessing and the Philippian jailer comes to know the Lord and then his whole family and then they get baptized on the spot here's Paul and Barnabas ah we don't notice that they took time out to take care of their wounds I just I gotta tell you I read this stuff this is how the Bible comes alive to me how it comes alive like that to you when you're reading it this is real life stuff picture your mind is like God gave you an imagination I mean here these guys are their clothes are ripped open their backs ripped open and they're preaching and baptizing a guy. I, I Radical commitment to the mission. Just, it puts me to shame. And I allow God to use it to inspire my life. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. That's the one I wanted. I guess it is. So now you Gentiles and longer strangers and foreigners, you're citizens along with God's holy people. You're members of his family. We are his house built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ. We who believe are carefully joined together, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him you Gentiles are also joined together as part of the dwelling where God lives in spirit. I think the reason I want to read that is just Paul had a reverence, you see, for the church. 
because the church was where the Lord dwelt. You're not. You ever been in a really, really, really expensive, extraordinary cathedral, maybe a historic cathedral, and you couldn't imagine taking a pencil and writing on the walls? There's all these mosaic drawings and the stained glass and the carvings. You're more precious than an old building. You are, you men and women are the living stones of God. We're His body. We're His church here on this planet. Turn to me just a few more verses, then we're going to wrap up. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many others who have never known me personally. My goal is that you'll be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want you to have full confidence because you have complete understanding of God's secret plan, which is Christ himself and him is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this is my desire. This is Greg's desire. This is my desire way before I was a pastor is to help others have full confidence in the Lord. And you have full confidence when people like me or you share truth with each other. In other words, God wants to raise up thousands of preachers and preacheresses. And we're proclaiming the word. We're sharing it with one another. We're using it to build one another up. In fact, literally. Let me give you two examples. One of them won't be good, but one of them will be. You know sometimes when you get a bunch of girls together and... You know what tends to happen? And I'm, I'm having to deal with this on a regular basis at our churches. Gossip. It just comes... Like, gossip comes out of women like lust comes out of men. I'm just being frank and honest with you. It's the truth. And sometimes, in the name of being supportive to one another, they listen to garbage and crap about someone else that they should just go, Hey, you know what? Wait wait a minute. Wait a minute, Sally. Let me, I love you and all that blah, 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 nurturing stuff. But hey, have you ever talked to them about that? Well, no, not really. Well, you know what? It would just... I, I don't want to hear about it. See, I, you need to go talk to them about it. I don't need to know all the bad, crappy things that you think about that person because I'm just going to walk away thinking badly about them and chances are you're getting a prejudicial, one-sided view anyway. We never think about that, do we? But instead, just like that, I want you to picture that. The Bible says the early church was gossiping the truth. That's the kind of conversations that ought to be regularly in our circles. Where we're together with each other, sharing the word. I've been so encouraged as I've heard of a number of you, men and or women, getting together on your own, three or four of you together, going through Call My Anxious Heart or through a leadership book, and you're getting together with your own initiative just to talk about the Lord. It's awesome. That is what it's supposed to be like. Or a phone call just to encourage a friend. That's what it, That doesn't mean we don't share our problems with each other. And you can say, you know, so-and-so, I'm really having a problem with a friend. Would you pray for me? Pray that God would help me because I'm having trouble being patient. That's okay. But sometimes we go into all the gory detail, and I'm telling you, it's just completely unnecessary. It's just not necessary. Gossip and slander will destroy the church. And it destroys our unity. Paul, you see, again, his commitment. I'm agonizing for you. I don't even know you, but I'm going through suffering. Look at Ephesians 1, 15. Ephesians 1 and verse 15. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord and your love for Christians everywhere, I have never stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father, Lord Jesus, 
to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding so you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray your hearts will be flooded with light so you can understand the wonderful future he's promised to those he's called. I want you to realize what a rich and glorious inheritance he has given to his people. You wonder, what can I do for others? You can pray for them. You know how many times Greg or I are alone, we're just praying, God, open the eyes of the hearts of the saints. Give them an understanding of your love, of your forgiveness, of your grace, of who you are, of what you've called them to, that they might escape the corruption in the world caused by lust. God, open their eyes, and we can pray for each other. And this was Paul, committed to the mission, committed to the church, praying for the church. Lastly, look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. I want you to notice what it says now about the body of Christ. He is the one who gave these gifts to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and to build up the church, the body of Christ, till we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we'll be mature and full-grown in the Lord, measuring up to the full stature of Christ. Then we will no longer be like children, forever changing our minds about what we believe because someone has told us something different or because someone has cleverly lied to us and made the lie sound like the truth. Let me tell you someone to make the lie sound like the truth. Oprah Winfrey. Oprah. Dear old Oprah. Travel around doing her little seminars, which is nothing more than New Age demonology. Has nothing whatsoever to do with the grace and the power of Jesus Christ and the gospel of God. And yet I know many Christians just hook, line, and sinker like little babies. Wow, that sounds good. I'll go to an Oprah conference. Why? Oprah has nothing to offer you whatsoever. But you're still a baby and you're tossed back and forth, back and forth. What should I believe? What should I believe? That's what the church is for, to help you understand the truth. Now look what he says here. Instead... We will be holding to the truth in love, becoming more and more in every way like Christ, who is the head of his body, under his direction, and the whole body is fitted together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow, so the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Notice, it's not the pastors, teachers, evangelists, apostles, prophets' job alone, but it's all of our job as you're doing your part, helping the body grow together in love. Are you devoted to the body? I'm honestly saying I'm devoted to my body. My hands every day go about caring for the rest of my body. Every day, my hands do the same boring, mundane thing. They wash my hair, they shave me, they floss me, they shave me, you know, put on my clothes, dry off my body, rub lotion, rub cream, wherever it needs to be rubbed. They go to the messy and icky places, taking care of me. So my body is ready and prepared to do its job. Are you taking care of Christ's body? Are you devoted to taking care of the very mechanism that's going to get the gospel to the world? Are you devoted to encouraging your brother and sister, using your gifts, using your abilities, laying down your life for the body? Two last verses you can write down are 1 Corinthians 15, 58 and Matthew 6, 33. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers... Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the mission, the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is never in vain. In Matthew 6.33, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The New Living says, make the kingdom of God your primary concern. That's not written to pastors. That's written to all Christians everywhere. Whether we're full-time in ministry or we have another job, we're all to be full-time committed to the mission. 
of winning and building. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the work that you're doing in our midst and the work that you want to do. And Lord, we want to join you. Heavenly Father, we just ask you that as a result of this weekend, that you would renew our commitment, that we'd be men and women committed to giving 110%, who don't lose focus, who don't wander off distracted by the things of this world, but who cling to the truth and by persevering bear fruit some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold. Lord, we live in a place that is so difficult and challenging to consistently stay focused on the Christian mission. There are so many toys and trinkets and pleasures and nice things around us just clamoring for our attention, enticing us and luring us at every turn. God, we pray that you'd make us Paul and Pauline's. We ask you to make us men and women who do not consider our life worth anything dear to us. But only, its only purpose is that we might finish the task that Christ has given to every believer to go and make disciples of all nations. Help us to become a disciple ourselves, for it takes one to make one. God, we just ask you to bless our small groups this afternoon, our lunch, our recreation, as we just enjoy each other's company. In Jesus' name, amen.